Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. <clears throat> we are very close to Easter now. <laughs> and what we're going to do in the, over the next three weeks, we're going to look through uh, Isaiah, chapter 53. And it's a fascinating chapter. Written 700 years before the Lord Jesus uh, <clears throat> came to the earth, what you have is here, you have information about him and his life that you really don't find anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, honestly, it makes, it makes it hard to believe that uh, a person who lived uh, in Israel, somebody who was of Jewish faith, uh, could miss it. But they do, obviously. But I want us to look at it because we're going to see some things that uh, really help us in understanding who it is that we serve. The greatest thing that you and I can ever do is to know him, to know him and to walk with him. The most fascinating study, the most inexhaustible study is that study where we get to know him and to see him. And Isaiah 53 helps us with that. We're going to read the whole chapter now, and then we're going to come back and we're just going to look at three verses this morning. Isaiah 53, and we're starting at verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, would you help us as we look to your word? Lord, we love you and we love your son, and Lord, we want to know him and we want to walk with him and we want uh, him to be real in our lives. Lord, would you help us today as we look to the word? Help us to understand uh, the man he was, how he lived, and Lord, the price he paid that we might have this relationship with you and know we have eternity with you in heaven. Lord, would you bless in these moments in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, First three verses really give us a, give us a snapshot of Jesus and how he lived. Now, really, if we were to plan the entry of the Son of Man, the entry of the Son of God into the world, we would plan it differently, wouldn't we? We certainly wouldn't have him born in a manger. 
we would have him born somewhere very important. We would have publicity uh, involved in it. We would make every, sure everybody knew that he was here and what he had come to do. But that's not the way God chose to do it. And <clears throat> what we see here is a picture of a Savior, Messiah who was misunderstood. He was the Messiah the Jewish people were waiting for. And yet they missed it completely. Most of them missed it. Now, a few did respond. A few did catch it. But most of them missed the fact uh, that this Savior had come for them. Uh, uh, First thing, they didn't believe his message. They didn't actually believe what he was saying. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, the answer would be almost no one. You know, he lived for uh, three years. He lived for 33 years, but he lived for three years speaking much about the kingdom and his work and what he was come to do. And they didn't believe him. Now, he had a following, but many people followed him for shallow reasons. You know what? If he had the power to, uh, to feed you in that day, that was a pretty good reason for you to be around him. If he had the power to heal people, that was a pretty good reason to be around him. Uh, if he could do amazing and exciting things, and, and you know, people want to be around where there is excitement. But though they were around for the excitement, when it came to the end, they weren't there. Because they didn't believe who he was. Uh, <clears throat> the people liked him. He was a nice guy. They enjoyed being in his presence, but they didn't believe him. The leadership hated him and accused him of being in league with the devil. Now, that's fascinating because here we have the one they're waiting for, the one that actually answers all the, the, the promises of their scripture, the one that shows them the way forward, the, 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 the one that is the answer to everything for them, and they reject him. And the reason they rejected him is because he wasn't what they were expecting. He wasn't really what they were expecting. He was different. You see, he, did, he didn't have whatever it was in their minds uh, this Messiah should have. They had a picture in their minds, and Jesus just didn't make the picture at all. So <clears throat> what they did was they, uh, they got rid of him. Ultimately, they're going to crucify him uh, because they don't accept him. Someone said that home is where you go, and they have to take you in. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Home is where you go, and they have to take you in. Now, that may not be true in your case, but normally that's true, uh, that when you go home, you have to take, they have to take you in. But John 1.11 says that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Of all the places in the world that Jesus could have come to, Israel was the place. They were his people. They were his chosen people, the apple of his eye. Uh, they were his special people. <clears throat> and he came to him, to them, and they rejected him. They said no, no. Now, why did they say no to him? Because he didn't fit their expectation. He wasn't what they expected. He wasn't what, <clears throat> what they wanted. Now, <clears throat> humanly speaking, there's something that we can all identify here. Because, you know, we all want to be accepted. We all want a place where we can go where people accept us. And the most painful thing for us very often is to be rejected. And when we're rejected, we feel it. Sometimes people don't recover from rejection. Sometimes it goes very deep. But do you understand this morning that there's somebody who knows you and understands your life and has been rejected in a much deeper way than you ever will be? And you know, the Bible talks about us having the fellowship of his sufferings. And you know, some of the things that you and I go through in life actually help us to understand what he went through. 
See, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came unto his own, the place where he expected to be uh, accepted, and they didn't receive him. They wouldn't receive him. We all know what that feels like, don't we? At some point, to be rejected by people that we want to accept us. You know, that's just some of the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, <clears throat> what are you going to do with that in your life? Well, if there's somebody who knows what it's like, can't you go to him with it? In fact, isn't that what Hebrews chapter 4 tells us to do? That we can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need? Isn't that what we need to do with it? <clears throat> Don't we have a, a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities? And can't we bring our needs and our burdens to him and expect that he's going to actually help us with them? Of course we can. But we need to do that one. We need to actually recognize, you know what? He understands. He is a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of my infirmities. He knows how I feel. I can bring it to him. I don't have to suffer alone. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to pretend it's not happening. I can bring it to him. I can bring it to him and, and know what it feels like to have him put a healing hand on it. You know, we need to keep in mind that our Christianity is not about us doing the best we can. If your Christianity is about you doing the best you can and other people doing the best you can, you know what? It's going to be a very unsatisfying faith. Your Christianity is about the God who came to dwell in you and who offers you comfort. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. And what we need to understand is, you know, this God that came for us knows how we feel. And he can touch you. And he can help you. Whatever it is that you're going through this morning, he can actually touch you and he can help you. Um, that's very And Let me say this. If he can't touch you and help you, he's not very real to you, is he? If he can't touch you and help you, what are you telling other people about him for? Isn't it all right and fine to talk about eternity? When we die, we're going to go to heaven. None of you have ever been to heaven, have you? None of you have ever died yet. You know, so it's all, right, it's all right and fine to talk about what's going to happen in, in, in the future, I mean, but you've never tested it. The, the real test of our Christianity is now. Is he real today? Is he real today? Can you actually live with him in this life and it be real to you? You see, <clears throat> Jesus knows how you and I feel, and he's able to help us. He is able to succor us, the Bible says. He is able to help us. Uh, you can come boldly before the throne of grace to get help. Now, <coughs> actually, look with me at Hebrews chapter 4 and see it, because I want you to see it for yourself. Hebrews 4, verse 15. <clears throat> These are good verses to underline in your Bible, by the way, right? For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, that's kind of awkward English, uh, but what it means is we have a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Right? So he can be touched. He knows how it feels to be you. In 2015, he knows what it feels like. You saying he couldn't understand. He does understand. He knows what it feels like. I, <clears throat> um, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The difference between us and him is that he was tempted. He went through those feelings. He just didn't sin. 
He didn't give in to them. He didn't yield to them. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, do you think verse 16 there looks like a promise? Do you think he's saying, come boldly unto the throne of grace and um, we're going to have a vote in heaven and and decide whether you can have help in your time of need? Or do you think what he's saying is, if you come boldly before the throne of grace, you will obtain help in your time of need? That's what he's saying. He's saying you will obtain help. God is real. The Spirit of God is real. He is a living Savior. He lives to intercede, and if you come to him, he will help you. And if he doesn't help you, you know what? That will put your whole, your, your, your whole faith uh, in question. You ought to expect that he will help you. Sometimes we don't really believe he would. We don't believe our problems are big enough in his eyes. We don't believe that our problems are <clears throat> the kind of problems he deals with. And yet, <laughs> what we find here is we find here a promise from him saying, I will help you in that time. And that, listen, that's only one of them. There are so many uh, others. Right? So when you come to the place where you're feeling at the end of yourself, you come to him and you expect help, help that is tangible, help that changes things, help that enables you to carry on. <clears throat> That's what he promises. Jesus knows what it feels like to be you. So <clears throat> he knows what it feels like to be rejected. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Secondly, <clears throat> They thought he was a nobody. Now, look at the verse there. Uh, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. You know, if, you, if they looked into, genie, into Jesus' genealogy, well, uh, he was from Nazareth, and uh, he was born in Bethlehem in highly suspicious circumstances. Uh, he was a nobody. Now, that's hard for you and I to kind of get our minds around because we live a long time after that when the world has accepted he was the most important person uh, that ever lived for the most part. But to them, he was insignificant. He was a nobody. Uh, he just grew up um, as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He was just the carpenter's son. Remember when he went to Nazareth, that's what they said. We know him. We know his mother. We know his brothers. You know, He's just the carpenter's son. He's, he's nobody. He wasn't born in Rome or Jerusalem. Uh, you know, it's hard sometimes for people to escape the reality of their background, isn't it? Some of you struggle with that one, don't you? You have a hard time escaping uh, where you come from. You know, because people will, put, people will point the finger and say, yeah, we know you. We remember you. We, we saw the things that you did. And it, and it can bring you very low. You know, Jesus knows what that feels like. He's been there. He understands that. <clears throat> um, he, he, he just came from a common background. Secondly, though, you know, he looked like a nobody. Now, if I ask you what Jesus looks like, and if you were to paint a picture for him, you, you would probably paint a picture uh, of maybe some painting you've seen somewhere uh, <clears throat> or maybe some film that you've seen. And what you would do is you would paint me a picture of Jesus with long flowing hair with these piercing blue eyes, and you would paint a picture of a character that was unmissable. That's not what he looked like. See, Isaiah tells us that he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. If you were to walk down Main Road there, uh, and Jesus was to walk by on the other side with several people, you wouldn't notice him. 
Now, I find that hard to believe, don't you? That's kind of hard to believe. I mean, you'd have to notice something about him. No. Uh, There was nothing about him uh, that made him noticeable. You see, we're very much uh, attracted by the idea of how people look. It's very important in our our minds and in our lives. Uh, And to come to terms with the idea, Jesus didn't look like anything. People didn't respond to him because of the way he looked. Uh, There was nothing in him that would desire him. Now, I think, by the way, that was a huge negative for the leadership. You know, they would have expected him uh, to be like the character that we paint. Well, maybe not, because we paint Jesus as being European or being American, and he wasn't. <laughs> All right? uh, but, but they would expect him to be striking in the sense that we, we imagined him to have been, and he wasn't. He was just an ordinary character. Uh, in fact, that verse would kind <clears> of <throat> make you to believe that he was kind of, you know, less than ordinary in, in the way he looked. You know, <clears throat> so Jesus looked like a nobody. <clears throat> and as focused as we are on how he looked, that's not how he looked. John Wesley wrote the hymn and he said, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Now, what does that word veiled in flesh mean? That means he was veiled. He was covered. He was hidden by flesh. You could look at him and you wouldn't see anything wonderful about him at all. People didn't respond to Jesus the way we think they should. You wouldn't have responded to Jesus the way you think you would because you wouldn't see him. You wouldn't see him. You know, we often talk about the fact that Jesus came into this room, we would all fall on our faces. That's true if he came into this room in his glory without the veiling of the flesh. If he came into this room, we could see him for who he really was. But you know, when he walked the earth, nobody saw him like that. Nobody understood that's who he was. Nobody could see him. He he was veiled in flesh. He couldn't be seen. He didn't look the part. They had an idea of how Messiah should look, and Jesus didn't fit it. He just didn't didn't, uh, cut it. He wasn't someone uh, that they looked at and they thought, yeah, 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 you know what? He, He could look like Messiah. Thirdly, his suffering made him look like a failure. Uh, The people had no use for him. He was despised and rejected of men. Yeah, he was great. He did great tricks. And he did, you know, he he could feed you and he could do wonderful things. But, you know, he was despised and rejected of men. And the reason is because his whole life was marked by suffering. He was a man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. Now, what what does that mean? That's talking about his life. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Something that's very noticeable in the scripture is this. Jesus is never seen laughing or smiling. Now, you can say, well, uh, I I know, but he did. Because you know he did. And I I assume that he did too. It would be hard to live 33 years and never laugh or smile, uh, even if it was in frustration. But it's significant that is never recorded of him. No, we know he cried. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about several times when he cried. Uh, wh- wh- when he wept, when he burst into tears at, at Lazarus' tomb, when he wept over Jerusalem. <clears throat> but it never records him smiling. never records him laughing. Now, <clears throat> why is that? Because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, let's think for a moment what it would be like to be deity 
perfect holiness and live in our world. To be perfect deity and live in our world. Live uh, in the world we live in. Aren't you so glad that you don't know the darkness of all the hearts around you? Aren't you? Sometimes you get a glimpse of them and it's terrifying, isn't it? Jesus knew the darkness of every heart. As he walked the earth, he knew the darkness of every heart. <clears throat> he knew what was in man, the Bible says. He knew what, we, he knew what was there for man. Um, <clears throat> he knew the pain of every heart around him too. He, he knew what people were going through. He could experience it. I mean, I think <clears throat> standing by Lazarus' tomb and experiencing the pain uh, that Mary and Martha were going through is really what brought him to tears. And the, the, the way the Bible puts it is he burst into tears. He was overcome by it. And he burst into tears. You see, he could feel all the pain around him. He could see all the pain around him. Um, it would be hard to see the light side of life if you were a perfect deity walking amidst men. And then, of course, the, the disciples. The disciples, though we think we're so much better because we look at the mistakes they made and their mistakes are written down and ours are not. Uh, we're not better than them. <clears throat> but you know, he knew the pride and the ambition of their hearts. Can you imagine what it was like to be going to Jerusalem to hang on a cross and die and your disciples arguing behind you quietly so that you couldn't hear them, quietly arguing behind you about who's going to be greatest, who's going to be the biggest in the kingdom. And, <clears throat> and they're, they're having a knockdown, dragout fight because... That's what they're interested in. Can you imagine what it was like to be around those disciples? <clears throat> that point where Jesus said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long must I endure you? That must have been where he lived. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't conquer it and that he didn't live uh, right and that he didn't love and that he didn't care for and that he didn't smile and that he didn't laugh because I'm sure he did. But you know what? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knew what grief was like. Sometimes we, 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 we kind of think, oh, well, he's God. <clears throat> I mean, we know he suffered on the cross, but he's God. He can do it. You know what? Being God would have made everything he went through worse. Would have meant everything that he went through was harder, not easier. Because he could live in this world in a way you and I never could. I'm so glad. I don't know everything that's going on in people's hearts and lives. You know, <clears throat> I'm so glad that, you know, Wickedness, in a sense, surprises us, doesn't it? When we see it explode in somebody's life and we see something dreadful happen, we're we're surprised. But Jesus knew what was there all the time. He knew the Pharisees wanted to crucify him. He he knew all of that. You see, uh, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, Now, why did he suffer? Why did he come into this world? Why did he suffer? Why was his life marked by suffering and his death? marked by the ultimate suffering. Well, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. Let me read you from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For even hereunto are ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. By the way, catch that. That's not what we're looking at right now, but that ye should follow in his steps. He was an example in suffering that ye should follow in his steps. Do you know that if we walk with him, It's not going to be all our lives, but there's going to be a part of our lives where we're going to be acquainted with grief. You're not going to escape scot-free. That's going to be reality in your life. 
uh, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Jesus suffered, although he never deserved to suffer. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Verse 24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That's why he suffered. He suffered for you and I. He suffered because we had a debt that we couldn't pay. And he suffered so that he could pay it. Nobody's ever loved you like that, have they? People have loved you, but nobody's ever loved you like that. You know, when Jesus lived his life and went to the cross and your name was there for him. You weren't just a faceless mass on a, <clears throat> a globe of the world. You were a person. You were real. He knew you. He knew your sin. He knew your name. He knew what he was paying for. In his own body, on the tree. He took all your sin. So <clears throat> Jesus came Jesus lived, and Jesus died for you. You know, <clears throat> the light bulb went on for me the day I realized that it was my sin that put him on the tree. That it wasn't a case of, you know, he died for the world, and I was just part of the world. <clears throat> no, the Holy Spirit made it clear, no, it was your sin that put him there. You know, that's terrible. And wonderful all in once, isn't it? It's terrible that he should have to die for my sin. But it's wonderful that he would love me that much. You know, he died for your sin. He loves you that much. Sooner or later, you're going to have to make a decision what you do with that. Sooner or later, you have to come to grips with that reality and decide what you're going to do. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you can put it at arm's length. But ultimately, you've got to actually come to grips with it. No, no, no. It was about me. Let me read you the rest of that verse, though, because we miss the rest of that verse sometimes. <clears throat> Whose own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. You know what? <clears throat> Jesus died on the cross to save you so that you could have a home in heaven. But he died on the cross, too, so that you could be dead to sin, so that you could live in a way that would please him. So that you could live a life uh, that, that would be, <clears throat> be a, a blessing, if you like, to him and to his father. He didn't just die for you so that you could continue on in sin. No, he broke the power of sin. He, he took away the penalty from sin. He paid the price, your price for sin. And he broke the power of sin so that you could live unto righteousness. Right? <clears throat> now, sometimes we, we, we think of that. We think, oh, here, here he goes. And now he's going to put a guilt trip on us and he's going to ask of us to do things. You know, it's not like that. You know, listen, you were made to walk with God. You were made to have a relationship with him. And you're only ever going to be happy when you're doing that. And he knows that. And what he did when he sent his son, yeah, he paid the price for your sins so you don't have to go to hell. But he also broke the power of sin so that you could be free to live for and with him in this life. It's not something he puts on us. It's a gift he gives to us. 
But we sometimes treat it like, well, you know what? <clears throat> That's an awful lot to expect of me, and I can only do this, and I can only do that. No, 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 no. He did it all. He paid the price for your sins. He broke the power of sin in your life. And if you will let him, he will enable you to live in a way it's not possible for human beings to live and to walk with him and to enjoy his presence. Yeah, we read Isaiah chapter <clears throat> uh, 6 at the beginning. Uh, isn't it interesting that when Isaiah realized he was a sinner, God didn't say to him, okay, Isaiah, go ahead and do, do penance for six months and come back to me and I'll see if you're clean enough. You know what? One of the seraphim, ser- took a, took, seraphim took a hot coal from the altar and used it to cleanse his lips. He realized he was a sinner and God fixed the problem. Do you know that's what we need to do? That's what we need. Listen, if you're not saved this morning, what you need to do is realize, I am a sinner. I need to be saved. And he does the work. If you're here this morning and you're a believer and you're struggling with sin, it's the same thing. You need to understand, I'm a sinner. I can't help it. Lord, help me. And he does the work. If you're willing, he does the work. That's always the way it works. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just a token. It was the full payment for all sin, past, present, and future, yours and all the rest of it. And you say, well, hang on a minute, Pastor. A lot of people are not going to get saved. Yep, that's true. doesn't mean their sin wasn't paid for. Their sin was paid for, but they just haven't availed of the payment. How do you avail of the payment? Well, the Bible says it's by faith. <clears throat> that you believe on him, believe on what he did, trust in what he did. It's not a case of, you getting it right or doing it right or being right, you'll never get it right and do it right or being right, be right. But you know what? He did it all. What needs to happen for you is you need to come to the place where you trust him and what he did, where you depend upon the sacrifice of the cross, where you reckon when Jesus went to the cross, he, he died for me. My sins were so bad that the only way it could, the problem could be fixed is Jesus dying for it. That's what it means to be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that means you realize you're a sinner, you realize you have a need, and you cry out to him, and he does it. He does the work of saving. You see, he died for us. One of the hymns says, What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Listen, he suffered so that you could be free from the penalty of sin, and free from the power of sin to walk with him and live for him. That's the most important thing that's ever happened in your life, if you can only grasp it. Right? <clears throat> and then the other reason they rejected him was because he wasn't the sort of Messiah they were looking for. His whole life was marked by suffering. <clears throat> And then he wasn't the sort of Messiah they were looking for. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You know, the people looked at him and, you know what? They looked at Jesus and there was nothing special about him. Uh, He wasn't the kind of Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for somebody big and bright and powerful, somebody who could wield a sword and free them from Rome. And Jesus didn't fit the bill. Uh, They were looking for somebody who would be beautiful. He didn't fit the bill. You know what? Jesus is still misunderstood today. You talk to people about Jesus and you get all kinds of uh, thinking about him. You, you talk to one group of people and they'll tell you, yeah, he was a prophet. Just, just another prophet. 
Well, no, he wasn't a prophet. He was the Son of God. He was God veiled in flesh. He was <clears throat> God incarnate. He was, he was fully God. Some people look at him as though he were um, <clears throat> a great teacher. And, and listen, he was a great teacher. But <clears throat> you know what? He didn't come to be a teacher. He came as God to die for sins. Some people look at him uh, and they see him <clears throat> as love without judgment. And that's a really dangerous mistake to make. Because Jesus is love. Right? It's, not about, <clears throat> it's not a case of, you know, he does love. He is love. But if you stop there, you'll miss the reality that he's judgment as well. That Jesus actually will be the judge one day. That he will stand, man will stand before him and be judged. Um, <clears throat> some people will say he is peace and he is peace as well. Uh, many totally missed the fact that he was the suffering savior or why he suffered. The good news is though, that he suffered for you. And he suffered for me. The good news is that he came to go to the cross with you and me on his heart. With you and I on his mind. Now, let me ask you, <clears throat> what are you going to do with Jesus? We're, we're coming up to Easter now. And Easter is the most important day Christians have. We know the day Jesus rose from the dead. Um, <clears throat> he told us. Uh, <clears throat> we, we, have, we don't know what day Jesus was born. We're not sure. We celebrate Christmas because it's important to celebrate his birthday, but he told us uh, the day he rose. Because the most important date on the calendar for us is that day when the stone was rolled back and Jesus emerged victorious from the tomb. So we're coming, we're coming up to that day. What is he to you? Our passage this morning talks about him as being the suffering savior. What, what does his suffering mean to you? Do, you, do you? do you come to this season every year and you say, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, terrible thing. But you glance off it in the sense that you never come to grips with the reality of, no, he died on the cross for me. If it's true that he died on the cross for you, you know, there are two things that are, that are really important to you. First thing is that you get saved, that you get born again. If you're not born again this morning, if you haven't trusted him as your savior, that's so important to you. <clears throat> Easter's a wonderful season, by the way, for somebody to get born again. Uh, it's a season of new life, isn't it? And really, it's new life for you if you get born again. But if you're not born again this morning, you know, listen, you need to face that reality. Jesus died for my sin. He suffered for my sin. Think about it this way. If the only way to save you from your sin was Jesus dying, and you say, that's very nice, God. Thank you, but I don't need it. Well, what option does God have? What can God do in your life? He has no option but to have you pay the price for your own sin, and the only way to pay the price for your own sin is hell. You know, <clears throat> if you're not saved, today's a great day to get saved. But Jesus died, we read in First Peter, uh, <clears throat> that we might conquer sin and live unto righteousness. Now, you might be saved this morning, born again, but you're not living in victory. You're not living the Christian life in the way he intended for you to live it. You're not living in the place where you're actually walking with him and you know his power and his presence in your life. No, you're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect this side of eternity. But you know what? You can live in victory. You can, can have victory over sin. Not because you've got willpower. You know what? It's not based on your willpower. 
Not because you know the Bible inside out. It's not based on that. But because you're born again, the Spirit of God indwells you, and he gives you the power. You know what you need, though, to have that kind of victory? You need to be willing. And there are all kinds of reasons that we're not willing to let him have his way in our lives. But are you willing this morning to come to him and to say, Lord, listen, I want to make you Lord of my life. I want you to give me the victory that you won for me on the cross. You're saved, and you know you are, but you know you're not living in victory. Today would be a great day for you to say, Lord, I see you as a suffering Savior who paid the price for my sins and broke the power of sin. I want it, Lord. You know, I may be strange, but I want everything God has for me this side of heaven. I don't want to wait till I I get to heaven uh, if there's something I can have while I'm here. Like when we sing dwelling in Beulah Land. You know, I want to dwell in Beulah Land now. I don't want to wait till I get to heaven to have that kind of victory. And you don't have to. There is so much that he has promised you and he will give you if you just want it. So I'm going to close in, uh, in prayer in a second. Two thoughts for you. First of all, are you saved? Are you born again? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you're not, we'll get someone to open the Bible and show you how you can so that you know for sure and you leave this place today knowing you're on your way to heaven. Wouldn't that be wonderful? When are you going to get a better offer than that? Second question is, would you surrender your life to him and make him Lord of your life, this suffering Savior, this one who knows exactly where you're at, knows exactly how you feel, knows exactly what's going on in your life, and has the power to change it? Would you surrender your life to him and let him have his way in your life? Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being able to see the Savior. And thank you for your Savior that died to save us from sin, from its penalty, and from its power. Lord, would you bless your people now. Blessed Spirit, would you go through this room now, and would you touch each heart that needs to be touched. And Lord, may we not just listen to the word and walk away, but Lord, may it find its mark in our hearts. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask you. You're here this morning, and you know you need to be saved. You need to be born again. You reckon that Jesus died for you, and you want it. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? I will not point you out. But if you're here, and you want to be saved this morning, would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. See that hand. Anybody else this morning? Amen. See that hand, too. Is there anybody else? Amen. I see that hand, too. Anybody else this morning? Right then, let me ask you one other question. You're here and you're a child of God and you know you are. Right? <clears throat> and this morning you would say, you know what? I'm not having victory in my life. I'm not living like Jesus broke the power of sin. And it's a grief to me and I want that victory. I want to walk with him as close as I possibly can. Pastor, pray for me. I want to get something straight in my life and I want to walk with him in a closer way. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. See those hands. Amen. I'm going to pray in a moment, but before I do, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. <clears throat> Just where you're standing, why don't you cry out to God and ask God quietly between you and him, Lord, I want victory. And you, <clears throat> you ask him to do it. And you know what? If you will ask him, he will do it as long as you let him. He does it, not you. Just where you're standing, you cry out to God and you ask God to give you the victory that he paid for on the cross for you.
Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. And, oh, Lord, we take the reality of that right now, and we ask you, Lord, would you work a deep work in our hearts. Lord, may none of us uh, walk away from a message like this, Lord, thinking that it wasn't for me, but may each one, Lord, let the reality sink in. And, oh, Lord, may we know what it is to be saved and to know you as Savior. Lord, for those that raise their hand, Lord, may, that, may this be the day when they come to rest in you. And, Lord, <clears throat> for those that have asked you, Lord, to uh, be Lord of their lives, to give them the, <clears throat> the enabling, Lord, that they might conquer sin, Lord, would, would you help and would you bless and would you lead and would you guide and would you strengthen? And, Lord, we we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.